worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Warning. This episode contains foul language and potentially disturbing information about the existence of extraterrestrials. podcast for all things strange, unusual, paranormal, supernatural, creepy, sticky, gross, scary, and everything in between. Back when the world was still spinning, we got to sit down with a friend and chat about something weird, but now we have no friends. We're on week seven of isolation. We're eight. Okay. My guest is saying we're we're on week eight. We're on week eight of isolation. I've forgotten what the sun looks like, and I'm not 100% convinced that the world still exists outside of my one-bedroom apartment. Anyway, this week is a special little episode with a special little surprise guest. Everybody, please welcome Mr. Joe Oaks. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hello. I have decided to do half-ass Chekhov impression for this episode. So, hope everyone out there stays safe. Uh, hope everyone out there uh, have good time. Party in USA, yes? <laughs> Not too good of a time. Not too good time, though. <laughs> Six feet. All right, I'm done. Six Hi, feet. everybody. Hi, everybody. Um, so we went ahead and ordered Lauren a new microphone. We did not have much luck with the one we bought and used for the last four episodes. I was not happy with the sound quality, so we ordered a new one. And naturally, it didn't arrive on time for our Aliens episode. That's the that's the real tragedy of COVID-19. That we can't get a microphone on yeah. time? Yeah, I know. Uh, but that's okay, because I happen to live with a very funny man who loves aliens. So. Who? You. Oh, yeah. That's You're right. talking I do. about the cats. I do love aliens. The cats also love aliens. So, Joey, you've changed your tone on aliens since episode two of this show. I have. You have. I was listening yesterday for a project we're doing, and I asked you if you believed we've been visited, and you basically said no. And you said that you've never seen a video that you thought was legit. And I've kept the receipts. You were a total skeptic three years ago. And it's not to say that you're wearing a tinfoil hat and covering our walls and newspapers today, but I think it's safe to say that your opinion has changed a bit. No, no. When you say visited, because I've I be- I've always believed that UFOs are buzzing around. I don't know. I literally said, like, don't you believe we've been visited? And you said no. I was like, damn. Listening. Me. Listening. Yeah. Like, what? 
Huh. And then I asked about like if you've ever seen a UFO, and you said you hadn't, and that. But um, I told you about my story about being. Watched, I know that's right? the thing. Like you said, you hadn't, and then you said that you've never seen a video that you thought was legitimate of that UFOs. Has, that has that definitely has changed, changed. In, in recent years. Um, and then yeah, and then we get to the end of the episode, and and one of the listener questions was like, "Have you ever had an experience with a UFO or an alien or whatever, whatever?" And you told two insane stories about experiences. I must. Have, I, must have I must have misunderstood. I must have misunderstood the question. I must have, in the moment, misunderstood the question because I I believe that UFOs are buzzing around. I uh, I will say that in the last couple of years, disclosure has uh, has definitely increased, uh, yeah. especially on 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 part of the uh, the United States government and military, especially with these you know USS Nimitz videos mm-hmm. of the uh, F eighteen pilots, and yeah, we're we're getting we're getting more stuff, and even especially now with you know the coronavirus lockdown in place, listeners, you should really uh, do some digging because there's some really really weird videos that have surfaced since the beginning of this uh, self isolation stuff. There were uh, identical lights that were seen in Cleveland, Ohio, Detroit, Michigan. Uh, where was the other one? I don't it was remember. Like Oklahoma but, yeah. City, or it was like somewhere in the in the but plains. But they were identical, lights. identical formations of lights. Where videos of people like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> um, yeah, there's the CCTV footage of that volcano in Mexico, where it appears that there's a bunch of stuff buzzing around the volcano and even flying into the volcano. Yeah, and residents like uh, of nearby cities are like yeah that happens all the time right yeah i mean until fairly recently the phoenix lights were really like the most compelling evidence that we had and uh and there's a bunch of stuff has come out lately so uh, these are exciting times for those of us who believe that uh, that we are not alone yeah we haven't done an alien episode we did two in season one and then we just like never picked it up again uh, the only time we've really mentioned aliens since then is um I've had a couple cool listener stories that I've told that are like alien UFO abduction related. And I've actually got one that I want to share today if we have time. Sure. So that's cool. But other than that, we've, we've been alienless. We have. And even going back to, you know, uh, like experiences. Have I ever had a personal experience? I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast, but my dad had one when he was yeah. uh, like high school age. And for those of you listening, my father is mm, the last person on the planet <laughs> who would make up a story about seeing an unidentified flying object. Like the last person. Maybe one of these days I'll uh, I'll get my dad to to call in and you can record a little segment where he tells the story. He might get a kick out of that. That also might be my dad's worst nightmare. <laughs> so so I'll, I'll test the waters on that one and see. But if we can get Joe Oak Sr. on the podcast, that would be like... The greatest get of all time. We'll see. That would be a good get. A great get. That would be a good get. (laughs) That would be like Pete Rose getting into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Also, three people who listened to your podcast understood what I just said. I'm not one of them. It would be be an unbelievable turn of events (laughs) if my dad was like, yeah, sure. I'll tell this crazy story that embarrasses me to this day to your tens of thousands of listeners. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. I wanted to say officially on air 
Congratulations on becoming Uncle Joey. Yeah, I am officially an uncle, mm-hmm. ladies and germs. Yep, and congratulations to Haley. Good, hi, Joey Haley. Sissy. Congratulations. <laughs> congratulations, Adam. Congratulations. Adam. And, and welcome to the world, little Eli. Eli Joseph. Little Eli Joseph. Yeah. Sweet little baby. I know, he's adorable. He's so smushy. Got a little smush. Yeah, he little, actually looks a little bit like an alien, but got, all babies got a do. Little smush it's face. Like just him. I know. He's but. a little cutie pie. All babies come out looking like aliens, and I'm like, maybe aliens are us. I apparently came out looking exactly like my paternal grandfather. That's hilarious. So, yeah. Gap (laughs) gap tooth and all. (laughs) You were born with teeth. I was born with a full head of teeth. (laughs) (laughs) My head weighed eight pounds. (laughs) All right, well, let's get into it. So, um, this is kind of... Joe's episode, really, because basically, you know, Lauren and I had an Aliens episode planned, kind of fell through, but we wanted to get something to you guys, and Joe loves them aliens, yeah. so I just asked him, you know, do you have anything to talk about? And it turns out, he always has something turns to talk about. Turns out I do. Yeah, think <laughs> of this like, um, I'm like the soup, salad, and breadsticks that arrive before mm. your never-ending pasta bowl that yeah. is the Ashley and Lauren episodes. So, and also, shout out to Olive Garden. Providing uh, <laughs> providing uh, bountiful feasts to families at affordable prices. Mm-hmm. Olive Garden. Keep it weird. Sponsor. <laughs> the carb central of America. I bet if we could actually make contact with extraterrestrials, I bet Olive Garden would be a really great place to break the ice. I feel like that would showcase some of our better qualities. Yeah, and some of our worst qualities. Naturally, but isn't that planet Earth? True. It's a mixed bag, baby. It is a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. (laughs) You get what you pay for. And at Olive Garden, that's quite a bit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on the payroll. Sorry, everybody. So, yes. So, uh, So, this is just like a little alien quick hitter to hold you over until your full official Ashley Lauren episode. I do have something to talk about. But it did take me a little while to figure out exactly what I wanted to talk about, just because this is ground that has been that has been tread so frequently, maybe not quite so much on this podcast, but it's it's a pretty popular topic. And nine times out of 10, when I'm exposed to something involving UFOs or aliens or extraterrestrials, at best, it feels like a subtle variation of something that I've already read or seen. So the angle that I kind of wanted to take today for my episode was kind of doing my part, I guess, to dispel the notion that credible sources don't exist on this subject. Yeah, that's something that you hear all the time with skeptics. Like, you think that if... If UFOs really existed, someone then, credible would have come forward. Yeah, some, yeah, and and the thing is, shitloads of credible yeah. people come forward. It's just that once they come forward, they're deemed non-credible because what they're saying is so spectacular that we kind of can't wrap our brains around it. Yeah. You know, we're willing to stare a person's credentials profession and everything that they seemingly have to lose in the face and just go like ah they're crazy yeah there's you know? no way there is what is it there's there is more in heaven and earth than dreamt of in your philosophy mm-hmm. right yeah i believe you said that in one of our previous alien episodes it's one of my all-time favorite lines Quotes. yeah yeah it really is 
So I tried to assemble somewhat of a who's who of people risking reputation and rebuke to publicly assert that UFOs slash aliens are real. A regular person, in my opinion, with a humdrum life, you know, Joe America, Jane America, somebody living in the middle of nowhere with a with a very unspectacular life. Nothing wrong with that. I live a very unspectacular life. But a person who is seemingly just someone that history will not remember. Mm -hmm. I, I can understand the impetus for a person like that creating such a story, even if they are of the belief that they're going to they're going to receive condemnation or ridicule or something because at the end of the day, even negative attention is still attention. Right. Right. We know that by watching any reality TV show. Any ever. reality television <laughs> show. Exactly. But for an established, respected member of their profession, be it the military intelligence agency, the political sphere, the scientific or medical communities, the subsequent attention from such a claim would be career or personal suicide. Yeah. The decision to come forward and tell all as such, in my opinion at least, is more often than not a testament to the story's validity. The need to tell the truth in spite of the consequences, not with some desired consequence in mind. I mean, has anybody ever made money off of telling the world that they saw a UFO? Has anyone not been mercilessly ridiculed by their peers and the community at large for having claimed to have been abducted by aliens? Barney and Betty Hill were an interracial couple in New Hampshire in 1961 why the hell would they bring that attention onto themselves I always if they weren't telling the truth bring that yeah up when it comes to like questioning the validity of what they experience it's like why would they bring attention to themselves yeah. they should do whatever they can to, to fly under the radar attention like, on them. To, to anybody who's not from new england new hampshire might be in new england but even today it's the texas of new england yeah it's the New England state that swings red every other election. Their whole live free and die hard thing. They're like, they will be the last bastion of libertarianism in America. Like that is, there's no state sales tax. Like that, that is the whole identity of New Hampshire is, is such that to be an interracial couple in New Hampshire in 1961 would be dangerous enough. To, to, to have your story printed in the Boston, Portsmouth, Portland, Maine newspapers, that's that, that would just that you you're inviting Molotov cocktails into your living yeah. room. I was going to say most interracial couples at that time in southern states or in states like New Hampshire were not open yeah. Their relationship was very private. Very much so. Their friends and family didn't even know that they were in a relationship. Yeah. So for these guys to be like, yeah, I guess you could put our picture in the paper. Hey, not only are we <laughs> in a relationship with one another, but we were abducted by aliens. Do with us what you will, <laughs> New Hampshire. Yeah. Also, New Hampshire is a beautiful state. If you're listening to this and you live in New Hampshire, I, I love New Hampshire. I, I, I say nothing ill to, toward New Hampshire. So have I been to New Hampshire? You've been through New okay. Hampshire. You have to travel through New Hampshire to get to Maine. Okay. You've been to Portsmouth, basically, cool. which is a really, really great little city. So without further ado, I want to share with you all a few stories of individuals seemingly with little to gain and a whole lot to lose by coming forward with such a claim. It was extraordinarily difficult to narrow it down. I did the best that I could. 
Um, I really wanted to include the Rendlesham Forest incident, also known as Britain's Roswell, but I did not because I believe that that should get its own episode entirely. Oh, cool. So maybe at a future date, the next Alien episode. Maybe we can do a mini-sode or something just on that case. It's it's pretty bonkers. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, here we go. We're going to start with a gentleman by the name of George Filer. George Filer was a decorated Air Force intelligence officer stationed at McGuire Air Force Base in New Jersey in 1978. Major Filer was not only at the base, but he wrote himself what quickly became a top-secret memo about what transpired there. In the early morning hours of January 18, 1978, an Air Force military police officer was ordered to pursue a strange, low-flying aircraft that had been observed numerous times buzzing through the military installation airspace. Roughly one hour into his search, the airman became aware that the craft, oval-shaped and radiating a blue-green glow, was hovering directly over his vehicle. Hey, that's some close encounter shit. Shortly thereafter, <laughs> with the airman completely transfixed, he noticed a creature emerge from the shadows on foot, revealing himself by stepping into the beams of his vehicle's headlights, the truck headlights, this is. Terrified and panicked, the military police officer drew his weapon, ordered the creature to freeze, and fired five rounds from his military-issue forty-five caliber handgun into the creature. What? The creature scrambled away, either climbing over or under a fence that separated McGuire Air Force Base from Fort Dix. It's a joint Air Force Base. The alien was found dead shortly thereafter, having succumbed to its wounds. It was found by an Air Force security guard and a New Jersey State Police officer who had been admitted onto the base to investigate the report of shots fired. It was noted that its remains gave off a foul, ammonia-like stench. The creature was described as being roughly four feet in height with a grayish-brown color. It had a fat head, long arms, and slender body. Shortly thereafter, Major Filer arrived on the base before dawn to prepare his daily 8 a.m. intelligence briefing for his superior officers. He states that when he arrived, security at the base had been tightened, and he personally observed the emergency response in the aftermath of the incident. He also said that he interviewed some of the witnesses from the scene for a report on what happened. However, he was denied access to and was never cleared to see photos that he observed being taken at the scene. The senior master sergeant on the base, the highest-ranking non-commissioned officer, essentially the go-between for officers and enlisted personnel, was visibly agitated. His eyes were wide open and his face was ghostly pale. When Major Filer asked his master sergeant what the hell was going on, the sergeant responded plainly enough by saying that an alien had been shot at Fort Dix and they found it at the end of the runway at adjacent McGuire Air Force Base. When Major Filer asked him to clarify the word (laughs) alien, he said, quote, from outer space, a space alien. There are UFOs buzzing around the pattern like mad. Shortly thereafter, a cleanup crew from Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio arrived to retrieve the body. Uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base is the headquarters of the National Air and Space Intelligence Center. Major Filer noted that the crew who arrived all behaved as if the creature and this process, quote, was not entirely alien to them. 
No word on whether or not pun was intended. Get it? <laughs> yes. Major Filer So, stated, like, they were acting like a uh, normal Tuesday. Been there, done that. Happened before, happened yep. again. Exactly. Okay. This is not the first time we've been scrambled to retrieve alien bodies and or material. Major Filer stated that he confirmed the existence of the being and the nature of the incident with both the wing command post and the base security post. He also confirmed with air traffic control that UFOs had been buzzing around the base all night long. The incident was promptly deemed top secret, and all witnesses, save for Major Filer himself, were intimidated and silenced. Major Filer himself was told to stand down by a superior officer while he was in the midst of filing this report that he was to send to the base commander, General Sadler. According to the Air Force, quote, We have no records that such an incident described took place on that date at Joint Base McGuire-Dix Lakehurst. I almost didn't include this story. This story almost got left on the cutting room floor because the experience itself is of secondhand nature. But upon further reflection, that aspect of the story actually wound up making it more appealing to me. Uh, It seemingly removes that familiar motive of attention-seeking behavior in my eyes. This isn't a person saying, I saw an alien, I saw a UFO. I saw the aftermath of a guy who accidentally killed one of these things. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a decorated military intelligence officer going against direct orders from his superiors to shed light on an incident that happened at his base, the aftermath of which he witnessed and experienced firsthand. This story, honestly sort of makes me believe that the movie Men in Black is kind of accurate Uh because it makes it seem like, oh shit, that could have been an act of war. They're buzzing around. They're trying to figure out why did our guy get killed? Like, what do we do? And like our guys, our Men in Black are like, it was an accident. Yeah. Everybody calm down. It was an accident. It was some (laughs) low-ranking idiot with a gun who has no idea of the decades-long alliance. And the aliens are like, yeah, ours was a low-ranking idiot, too. He wasn't supposed to get off the ship. (laughs) Okay, we'll just... Hey, hey, it's fine. It's fine. There are are bigger things at stake here than one dead alien. But yeah, but I I thought that that was an interesting story that I wanted to share because it was... I'd never heard it before. And I've heard quite a few. I've heard quite a few tall tales. So what happened to that guy? Was he did he get in trouble? No. No, oh, he well, he came good. out he came out much later in life like a lot of people do. He was he was uh, in his 80s when he came out with this story. Out of the Air Force, out, you know, you know, beyond beyond reproach at that point and also at an age where it's like if they kill me, they kill me. I'm, I'm 84. 80. <laughs> you know, I've had a good run. So the next one I want to share is uh Something that actually came out of the WikiLeaks Hillary Clinton hack, the email hack. Hell yeah. Interestingly enough. One good thing came out of that. Yeah, right? Well, that and a thousand, but her emails. Yeah, but her emails memes. (laughs) So, uh, So among the numerous emails hacked and leaked from the Hillary Clinton server, uh, this one actually comes from the personal email of John Podesta. John Podesta, a lot of the uh, alt-right, John Podesta is like kind of public enemy number one. They, I was going to say, remind our listeners Pizzagate. and me. Um, he's, oh. he's embroiled in the whole Pizzagate thing. Okay. Uh, John Podesta was Bill Clinton's chief of staff. Mm. He was a uh, personal, uh, like a, a senior counselor and consultant to President Obama when he was sitting. He was also the campaign chair for Hillary Clinton when okay. she was running for president. Oh. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, in 2016. So this came from John Podesta's personal email. Uh, it was disclosed by WikiLeaks. It's an email that dates to June, dates from, I should say, June 25th, 2014. So uh, Podesta was contacted by former NASA astronaut Edgar Mitchell. Edgar Mitchell was the lunar module pilot of Apollo 14. He was the sixth man to walk on the moon. As if that weren't enough credibility, Mitchell holds a dual bachelor's in science from Carnegie Mellon and uh, the U.S. Naval Academy. Wow. And he has a doctorate in aeronautics and astronautics from MIT. Wow. So (laughs) from a credibility standpoint- He's went to school. He's up there. In the email, uh, Mitchell requested a, quote, conversation with you and President Obama regarding the next steps in extraterrestrial disclosure for the benefit of our country and planet. So that's a juicy little tidbit right there. Yeah, no shit. Right? The email to Podesta wasn't entirely out of the blue. It went to John Podesta for a reason. He is a lifelong believer in UFOs and extraterrestrial life. While working in the Clinton White House, He attempted to declassify over 1 billion pages of classified material on the matter. He has openly, publicly discussed alien material found at purported UFO crash sites. He was a key force behind the passing of the Freedom of Information Act, largely due to NASA's stonewalling and refusal to release records regarding the famed UFO incident in Kecksburg, Pennsylvania in 1965. Though the Freedom of Information Act passed, zero information regarding the Kecksburg incident was recovered. (laughs) Podesta said that this was his single biggest failure of the year 2014. Wow. On the campaign trail while running for president in 2016, Hillary Clinton said, quote, John Podesta has made me personally pledge that we will get the information out on aliens and Area 51. Well, she also, she was on a talk show once. Uh, Jimmy Fallon? Her and Bill have both been on Late Night where they talk about like, well, we're going to get to the bottom of this. Yeah. I mean, Bill Clinton said like, I tried. I'm not. I tried. I'm I'm I'm, I'm deemed a temporary (laughs) employee. I'm not given that information. Yeah. That is that is clearance that given the secret structure of the powers that be in this country, I am not privy to such information. Yeah. Yeah, a a lot of serious conspiracy theorists point to this quote about John Podesta made me personally pledge we're going to get to the bottom of this in Area 51. They point to that as initiative and part of the reason that the forces that be interfered with the 2016 election and paved the way for Donald Trump to become president. I mean, Because in maybe. 2020, we're all conspiracy theorists. Uh, yeah. We're at a I've point now. I've been a now conspiracy where... theorist for a long time, but I'm I'm full-fledged now. I love the fact that people from the left and the right in this country at all levels point to the same incident as proof for a different conspiracy. Uh-huh. That's how fucking fractured we are as a country but right now. If we could all just take a step back and come together over our love for conspiracies. Somehow <laughs> peace is possible. There is there is common ground here. <laughs> peace is possible. But yeah, I thought that hey, that's that's something that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, um, you have one, don't you? What? You have a story, don't you? 
Yeah, but it's it sort of doesn't relate to this. I have like a no. whole other thing that's right, coming. Well, well, but I did want to say I was reading Reddit the other day, as I always do, and um, I think it was an Ask Reddit, and I think the question was like those of you who have signed NDAs that have since expired, what was in the NDA? And someone had um, discussed they worked for NASA. And one of the things they, they had to sign an NDA, it expired. And one of the things they were talking about is that they love NASA. They think it's a great program. But the problem with NASA, the biggest issue is that different bases like NASA, um, I don't know where they all are, installations, yep. do not communicate with each other because of like the way funding is throughout NASA, whoever has the biggest project coming up gets the most funding. Mm -hmm. So if you discover something or you, um, you create something, they don't share it with the other installations because they want the, you know, they sure. want to get the funding. Yeah. And she was basically saying, like, imagine how much more advanced we could be or like how much more knowledgeable we could be on things if they just fucking talk to each other. Interesting. If they weren't, if everyone wasn't in such a dogfight for dollars it's the same with like police departments yeah where it's like if you just shared the information you might these actually cases, catch the guy yeah might get solved but you want to be the one to make the arrest it's more important that you have uh authority yeah. at the scene than it is to yeah to actually work together to like solve a case yeah that's terrible ridiculous for those of you listening uh there's there's uh some people that if you wanted to do a little bit of research on your own, little uh, little quick hitters for you and their own personal experiences of reputable folks, you can type in any of these names into your Google search and just type in the letters UFO or aliens afterward because some of these guys have pretty common names. Tom Bearden, John Callahan, Franklin Carter, Richard Doty. Richard Doty's a personal favorite. Yeah, I love Richard Doty. Glenn Dennis. Paul Hellier. Oh, I'm going to talk about Paul Hellier. Never mind. And uh, Bob Jacobs. Richard Doty was the one that... Yes. Was he in Nevada? Yes. He was the uh, intelligence official uh -huh. whose job was to basically disinform. It was to have uh, amateur ufologists uh, basically chase their own tails and drive themselves yeah. insane. By he would actively feed them disinformation under the guise of, hey, I'm helping you on the sly because I want to help you uncover the truth, but I can't because really, I'm he's too pointing embroiled them in, it. in the wrong but direction. But really, he's pointing them in the entirely wrong direction. Yeah, he makes He a, was a, in Unacknowledged. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's in Unacknowledged and he, he says some crazy stuff in that doc. And my so. favorite part of his interview in Unacknowledged is that even though he's retired, even though he doesn't work there anymore, there's still some questions where, like, they ask him a question. He's like, I can't um I answer can't that talk about that question yeah he'll disclose stuff where you're like whoa that's crazy i can't believe this guy's going on record saying this stuff and then you know Stephen greer will ask him something else and he'll go i i i, I can't talk about that <laughs> so even still there are things where it's like oh yeah Ooh, that, yeah i'm gonna that get a bullet get, in my that head will get a bullet in the back of my head or child pornography on my computer yeah one or the other. Or my wrists will be slashed 16 times yeah. like that guy on Unsolved Mysteries. My wrists will be slashed 16 times and the knife will be carefully placed on the kitchen counter <laughs> uh, 10 feet away from where my body is found. And yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. So back into the stories. This one of the three, this is my personal favorite. Yay. I love personal favorites. Personal favorites. <laughs> this follows a gentleman by the name of Philip Corso. 
Philip Corso was an Army intelligence officer who rose to the rank of lieutenant colonel. He was chief of the U.S. Counterintelligence Corps in Rome during World War II. He arranged for the safe passage of 10,000 Jewish refugees out of Rome and into Palestine. He was the personal emissary to Giovanni Battista Montini at the Vatican, a man who would go on to be known as Pope Paul VI. Wow. He was awarded the Legion of Merit and the Bronze Star for his actions. Uh, After the war, he worked as chief of the Special Projects Branch of the Army Intelligence Division. He served on President Dwight D. Eisenhower's National Security Council and was chief of the Pentagon's Foreign Technology Research and Development Division. So... Pretty serious credentials. That's a lot of exposition. I know. I felt compelled to include all of his posts, that's awards, the, Yeah, I was going to say, that's the important part. It's like, yeah. here's everything that he did. Here's everything that this guy has to lose by saying what he would go on to say. Yeah. I, they just add weight to the following. So in 1997, a year before his death, Corso published a memoir in which he stated that he personally stewarded extraterrestrial artifacts recovered from Roswell, New Mexico. Oh, shit. He stated that the Roswell crash directly led to the forming of CIA, of the CIA, mm-hmm. just two months later. A lot of people might not be aware of that. The Roswell crash happened, and then two months later, the CIA was formed. And how many months later was the NSA formed? Several months after the CIA was formed. And after the uh, NSA was formed for 25 years until the information dump following Watergate in the mid-1970s, the rest of the U.S. intelligence community was unaware that the NSA existed. High-ranking CIA and FBI officials in the 1950s and 60s did not know that the NSA existed. I always bring that up when people are like, I just don't think our government could keep something big from us. It's well, like, they well. kept the largest <laughs> intelligence agency in the world a secret from the rest of the American intelligence agency. So I think they can. So anyway, he stated that the Roswell crash directly led to the forming of the CIA just two months later and that he himself served directly underneath the agency's first director tasked with collecting any and all information regarding off-planet technology and to attempt to reverse engineer all things recovered. According to Philip Corso, his work directly led to the development of accelerated particle beams, fiber optics, lasers, integrated circuit chips, Kevlar material, that these were all things that come from... Items recovered from Roswell and subsequent extraterrestrial events. Think about the jump in technology from when Roswell happened to today. Yes. It's kind of Extraordinary. Yeah. Now, it is one of those things where technology does advance rapidly. Technological. Major, major. Technological advancements beget greater technological advancements and it is important to state that you know necessity is the mother of invention and that just over the course of world war ii Mm -hmm. technology advanced extraordinarily when you take a look at the united states military's flying apparatus before world war before the united states became involved in world war ii 
how our fighter planes were uh, at the time, uh, thorough at the beginning of the war, like thoroughly outclassed by the German Messerschmitt or the Japanese Zero. And then by the, you know, 1947, we had jets. Yeah. You know, credit where credit is due. You know, however, it really made a serious jump from yeah. the late 40s, even into the 1950s. Uh, so, yeah, I, I thought that that was pretty incredible. Accelerated particle beams, lasers, fiber optics, Kevlar. Kevlar. Uh, furthermore, he stated that the knowledge of extraterrestrial life and their ability to arrive on planet Earth served as the inspiration and genesis of the famed Strategic Defense Initiative, uh, better known as the Star Wars Missile Defense System that came out during the Reagan administration. Mm -hmm. It's uh, the United States' ability to basically shoot down interballistic missiles or intercontinental ballistic missiles as they were fired at the United States from around the world. Um, and yeah, obviously, you know, the Soviets were uh, of chief concern at yeah. that time. But here we go. This guy is saying that the actual genesis of this was the knowledge that there was extraterrestrial life and that they had the ability to arrive at our planet. Motives unknown. I wonder... I mean, we can't know un until it's disclosed and it'll never be disclosed and it'll never be disclosed fully. But I wonder if ever, especially like Roswell, I wonder if any weapons of any kind were found. Right. Whether or I've not I've never the heard of, were, yeah. Right. Or any if we witnesses. would even be able to recognize something as being a weapon. True. We That's were unable true. to reverse engineer it or get it to work. Yeah. That was something that uh, Bob Lazar talks about um, when he discusses uh working at what hangar i can't remember where he was in nevada yeah. los alamos yes was at los alamos where he talks about how there was one thing on the craft that he was tasked with reverse engineering that he and his coworkers were able to identify like actually identify like oh here's what this thing is and it was a trap door it was something that like functioned as a weight bearing grate that could be like slid and lifted. Yeah, that was the one that he described as like a, a milk crate or a yeah, um, not milk crate, but like a the sep the cardboard separator. Yeah, like a when you buy a six pack of beer. Yeah, how it's something that like you know when you remove the objects from it, you can flatten it entirely. But when everything is, you know, when the beers are in it, you can stand on top of the thing. Yeah, how it bears weight, even though it's in nature somewhat flimsy. It's just intelligent engineering. And they discovered that it led to like a compartment underneath. And they were like, oh, that's it. The one thing on this craft that we can actually recognize as being <laughs> something <laughs> that resembles anything that we have is a trap door. That was it. So, yeah. So we've got an Air Force intelligence officer. We've got Philip Corso, whose credibility and credentials extend as far as the eye can see. We've got the Clintons, John Podesta. And just a couple little quick hitters here that we have. We've got uh, the government of France. In 2007, the French government became the first country to formally and officially open the books on their UFO investigations. To that point of the more than 1,600 corroborated and painstakingly investigated cases at that time, nearly 25% of them could not be rationally or reasonably explained. Wow. Uh, we've got Harry Reid. U.S. Senator from Nevada for 30 years, eight of which he spent as the Senate Majority Leader. 
He helped to found and fund a program to study aerial phenomena. Reed stated to New York Magazine that the program has documented hundreds of events, many surrounding a single missile base in Montana. When asked if there were things that he knew but couldn't discuss publicly, he responded simply enough by saying, yes. Yeah. Yeah. We've got uh, Paul Hellyer, who I briefly alluded to earlier. Paul Hellyer was at one time the youngest person ever elected to Canada's House of Commons. He later served as the country's Minister of Defense. He himself witnessed a UFO one night with his wife and friends in St. Paul, Alberta. He later advocated for additional inquiries into UFOs and possible ET life while in his position within the Canadian government. Wow. And we have President Jimmy Carter, who, along with 10 or so others, witnessed a UFO in Leary, Georgia in 1969, two years before he became governor of the state. Two years after he became governor, he formally filed a report of the incident to the International UFO Bureau in, Poli- in Oklahoma City. Uh, talk about political suicide. Yeah. A sitting governor of the state of Georgia with greater political aspirations eight years later, or I'm sorry, five years later. No, 1973, three years later, he was elected president of the United States. Yeah. And he's publicly requesting an investigation into UFOs and this particular incident that he himself witnessed with a bunch of other people. That's nuts. So these are things to think about the next time you hear somebody say, where's the proof? Or, ah, they just want attention. Or, ah, they're, you know, let me explain this away because my personal narrative and knowledge and belief system doesn't support anything beyond it. We should have an episode as well on false flag operations involving USOs because that's extensive. Richard Doty will be a featured player (laughs) in in, in that episode. Yeah. (laughs) Richard Doty was in the trenches of uh, numerous disinformation campaigns. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Stick it in your pipe. Yeah, stick it in your pipe. <laughs> stick it in your pipe. And then, uh, you know, the next time I get on here to talk about UFOs, I would love to maybe spend the whole episode talking about Rendlesham Forest. Hell if you yeah. want to get a head start on it, listeners, that is entirely your prerogative. It's, uh, like I mentioned, it's, it's referred to as Britain's Roswell. It took place at, uh, what was then a United States Air Force base in the UK. In either 1979 or 1980. Cool. Yeah. I'm excited. I've heard the name. I don't know if I've ever actually read anything about it. It's pretty bonkers. Well, I just wanted to share some stuff today. Thank you, Joey. Those were all really good. Yeah, I hope it was enough. Yeah, no, it was great. I loved it. Um, I wanted to share some Reddit stuff. I encourage anyone who loves aliens and alien talk to check out reddit.com slash r slash aliens because there's a ton of cool links and articles and theories. I mean, you could get lost for days. I do get lost for days. So one Reddit user posted a theory that I thought was super fascinating. I wanted to share it, but there isn't really like a way to research or test this theory, but I just thought you guys would like it. So, and also I apologize to you because you've kind of already heard this. I read it to you the other day. But I wanted to discuss it. So Reddit user BradyLA underscore YouTube, we're just going to call him BradyLA, posted their theory, which is basically that aliens live or stay deep in the oceans of Earth. And he explains why. So he uses two main sources of evidence for his theory. 
the idea that they are small guys with big heads, which we have heard from so many people, credible people who have been involved in the government or the military of like their descriptions of these beings have been pretty much across the board the exact same. Humanoid. Humanoid, larger heads than Big bodies. heads, little bodies, giant eyes. Yeah. Uh, so small guys with big heads and also the Nimitz encounters, which was one of the three UFO videos that the Pentagon just substantiated. So I'm basically going to read what Brady L.A. said with a few omissions here. So he says, They live on a planet with a thick atmosphere because the crafts we saw in the Nimitz encounters moved incredibly quickly but completely negated atmospheric effects. One way you could stop the noise from breaking the sound barrier because, again, no one's ever, like, really said anything about noise. Except for, like, people who claim to have gotten exceptionally close to them have described a slight hum. Hum. Yeah. Usually when they're landed and people have said that they actually walked up to a craft, a slight hum. So one of the ways you could stop the noise from breaking the sound barrier is to move the air out of the way, creating a vacuum through which sound can't travel. And coincidentally, that's also a great way to escape or leave a planet with a thick atmosphere because without it, you'd need a lot more energy to propel your way through it. Right. They come from a planet with high gravity because they are described as being small in size and seem to have slick skin and more flesh than bone. Um, With high gravity, bones aren't really as useful. Um, They cause a lot of problems. It would be more like a structure thing than a something that you would actually use extended stays outside the earth's atmosphere have had uh, negative effects on astronauts bone density yeah yeah so uh and in the nimitz encounters the crafts were accelerating and stopping on a dime which would put a lot of g's on the passengers but living in a high gravity world could make a being able to stand higher g's than humans can and also you have to think of like you know bob lazar talked about this like he believes from what he saw of the crafts that they create their own gravity. Yeah. You know, we're seeing them start and stop on a dime and turn on a dime and like do all these crazy stuff, which you would think if they were inside the craft, they'd be like, ah, like yeah. flying around. But if they're creating their own gravity, they would not be we, moving we, at all. We talked about that. I mean, that's uh, how gravity affects time and space. We yeah. talked about that on the time travel episode. It's a bit, and also, you know, relativity, how to a human being witnessing a UFO. They're defying the laws of physics and darting all over the place. But from inside the UFO, as they create their own significant gravitational field, in real time, they're traveling on their UFO the same way that we would travel in a car or on an airplane. Yeah. Because they're operating on a different plane of physics than we are. I think that that would be our, not our next, but like one enormous, enormous jump in technology would be for us to finally understand gravity because we know what gravity is right we know that it exists we know how it works we know nothing about it other than that we don't understand how we can't create gravity we can't right so if we found out how to i mean we could do like anything yes basically so as far as aliens residing in the ocean that's not really a new concept but i really like brady la's theory so several major encounters have taken place over open ocean that's a popular place to see ufos behaving uh, erratically the nimitz encounter specifically took place in the pacific near mexico which is water that hasn't really been explored yet deep water deep water that hasn't been explored i mean 90 percent of the ocean hasn't been explored 
So the ocean is a really good hiding place from humans. And he says that like the circular crafts would make sense there as well. They're built for space and water and high gravity atmospheres because a circular or cigar-like shape is a great way to deal with all of those things because it negates a lot of pressure and stress mm-hmm. on an actual craft. And by traveling via ocean, you're basically traveling freely and nearly invisible from human life. Also, the oceans are a great place to study life on Earth, as well as geological activity, as well as atmospheric studies without ever having to interact with humans. Mm -hmm. Another place to do that would be a volcano. That would be a great place to study shit that's happening on Earth without having to deal with people. Absolutely. Because we're not going to be in a volcano. So with all this in mind, I actually wanted to read a real story that was posted on Reddit. And I messaged the Reddit user to see if I could read it on an episode of the show someday. This was a couple weeks ago, and they were very kind and told me absolutely. And just asked that I credit their Reddit username, which is ObedientUWU, which took me a long time to get. I don't get it. No, no, like not get, but like a U followed by a W followed by a U. It was like too many U's. Uh, And my brain was like, am I saying this right? uh I had to like sound it out. So I'm going to read their story. Yeah, please. So I remember this was when my family and I would go on our yearly summer vacation to Lake Tahoe. Lake Tahoe is a beautiful forest slash bay area where the hills of pine trees go on forever. Lake Tahoe is known for having remarkably clear waters. My family had decided to visit a different lake or bay each day, but I remember one bay called Crystal Bay. Crystal Bay is beautiful and the water is very cold but you get used to it after a while. My younger nephew, let's call him Bob, had come with me and we'd been swimming about 40 feet from the shore when we bumped into another swimmer. This was a kid maybe around 10 or 12. We're going to call him Sudsy, which I love that that's the made up name for this child. Sudsy, Bob, and I had gotten to know each other more and Sudsy invited us to the jumping rocks. Being the adventurous teenager I was, I jumped at the idea of jumping off of rocks into the icy water below. The jumping rocks were a ways out from where our family had set up camp, so we advised them that we were going to be away for an hour or two, and once we had permission, we started to swim to the rocks. After about 20 minutes of swimming, we realized we had swam pretty far out. I looked towards the shore and estimated we were about 300 or 350 feet out. Whoa. Lake Tahoe has pillars, this is in parentheses, Lake Tahoe has pillars of wood marking 400 foot barrier for swimmers, so we had known not to pass those barriers. Mm-hmm. I had decided to see how deep we were and took a breath and dove into the icy depths. I reached the bottom of the lake and saw it about 15 feet deep. Being the teen I was, I decided to stay a while underwater to scare the kids, to pretend like I'm not coming back up. I had been in swimming classes. I'm fairly skilled at holding my breath for an extended amount of time. Shuffling around the lake bed, my foot stepped on something firm. Being barefoot, I immediately freaked out, waiting for the pain of like a sea urchin spine or some animal to bite the shit out of me. Uh, Or a rock's fish poison, like whatever. I pulled on my goggles and flushed out the water, giving me a better view of the surrounding waters. I looked down and saw a metal-like plate but I couldn't hold my breath much longer, so I decided to resurface. I resurfaced and took a sharp breath and slowly calmed my breathing. I realized that Bob and Sudsy weren't near me or anywhere in sight, and I began to freak out, thinking that I had lost the two responsibilities bestowed on me. I began to swim frantically in a direction where I expected them to be, but as I was swimming, 
I was swimming into a thick fog, like a really fucking thick fog rolled into the bay. And I was literally shitting myself thinking of how they can drift out and how I can drift out. Like I'm lost in this fog. I called for them, but I got no reply. The bay got quiet. There was no distant chatter of the hundreds of families at the shore, no honking of geese, nothing. It was just complete silence. And I was about to start screaming when I heard faint splashes. Both sides of me, like something or someone was literally running on the water. I turned over so many times trying to pinpoint the sound, but it was all around me and I heard it getting closer and closer. Then I just remember like popping back. Like my mind was restarted from the last physical thing it can remember and I was still at the bottom of the lake and my foot was still on the metal plate. I slowly floated to the surface and I saw no one was near me, again, freaked out, but I swam back to our camp this time. And as I got closer, I saw three police cruisers and my family frantically waving at me to come back and they were crying hysterically. Turns out I had been gone for five hours. What? Somewhere at the bay. The deputies told me they had been scanning the waters for hours and there was no sign of me. So yeah, that happened. I don't even know how the hell I stayed underwater for five whole fucking hours. And I don't know about you guys, but that's pretty fucking creepy. If you ask me, I still don't like lakes or bays to this day. Wow. What? That's, uh... Wow, I kind of don't even know how to attack that one. No. That's pretty bonkers. That is, at the very least, an awesome premise for a movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like most cynical, assuming the worst, just like immediately going, bullshit. Somebody needs to write that movie. Yeah, someone needs to write it because I would watch the shit out of it. That's wild. It's crazy. Holy cow. And like the thing is, you could look at it as like, maybe he did get bit or stung by something and he passed out but like they ser- they were searching the area they yeah, how, didn't but find how would him. you how would you pass out for that period of time and not drown yeah that's true you know even if you floated to the surface it's not like you're just gonna float on top of the water mouth up breathing normally they would have found him if that were the case and also the in-between part where he like came up and there was fog everywhere and yeah. there were no sounds. No, and like I would the- I would say that that story is either uh, a, a fascinating, terrifying brush with something uh, not of this world or a really intelligent, well-crafted falsity. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you so much, obedient oh, uh, man. UWU. Hey, either regardless, way, you made that my story day rules. with that story. That was amazing. <laughs> yeah. But that is all the time we have today for Keep It Weird. Do you have Aww. any? Do you, I know. Do you have any last Aww. things to say, Joey? Do I have any what? A last, I don't know, thoughts no. on aliens? No, we're on like week nine of quarantine right now. I've got nothing to say. I'm, <laughs> I have I'm, nothing to say to you. No, I have nothing to say. No, to them. I'm 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 a I'm a broken <laughs> human being at this point. I barely summed up the energy and strength required to perform the research for this episode. <laughs> no. Well, thank you for stepping in this week and joining us. Oh, though, it's always my for pleasure. Another chat. It's always my pleasure, <clears throat> especially if we're talking about aliens. And thank you, listeners, for all your support, especially those of you helping out with a very special project right now. You know who you are. We'll yeah, be talking way y'all to, up way soon. Way to step up to the plate, weirdos. I know. You guys are the best. I'm so filled with love. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash keepitweirdpodcast to find ways to donate a few bucks to our show and get bonus episodes, newsletters, and discounts on merch. 
or you can just go grab some merch at etsy.com slash shop slash keep it weird podcast we've got shirts and bags and hoodies and buttons and magnets and little baby quotes we have everything Follow us on social media if you aren't already at Keep It Weirdcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and our YouTube channel. We got some YouTube content rolling out. We have a new bloopers reel that's pretty funny up on YouTube right now. You should check out. Um, and other than that, make sure you're following the guidelines set forth by health professionals in your state, <laughs> and just please be safe and listen to the right people. And Joey, what's our sign off this week? Our sign off this week is aliens. If you're listening, <laughs> hell! <laughs> you woke up both the cats. Good. <laughs> Good. It's time for them to wake up from their third nap today. From their nine week long nap. And keep it weird, guys. Hi. Hello. We're talking about aliens and UFOs and extraterrestrial stuff. And hopefully the microphones sound good, and hopefully everybody likes this episode. And hopefully everyone's having a great day Wednesday. It's Wednesday. It sure is, honey. I couldn't have said it any better myself. (laughs)